crazy idea. Just throwing out here. What if we sank Atlantis? And Valjot, he is out of line. But some <laughs> of the he's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shan. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year the pc slash macintosh game chaos was released description it's a graphical adventure game where you awake from a dream to find yourself in a strange world pursued by a goonish bill collector your only hope is to follow the clues left by your eccentric uncle through a series of quests and puzzles in an attempt to solve the ultimate riddle what the heck is going on i'm suing this was definitely my life in 1997 <laughs> <laughs> No, but you know what else? I also definitely kind of got a little bit of uh, Friday Night at Freddy vibes. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is it does chaos theory and fractal mathematics. So I'm done. Um, Mm. Even though I learned a lot about chaos this week, I don't think it would help here. (laughs) Yeah, I think I know more so about order than I do about chaos because (laughs) of today's set of episodes. Um, Because we are continuing our coverage of Young Justice Phantoms. We are now in the Zatanna arc. Uh, this is going to be covering episodes 9 through 13. Yes, you heard that right. That is not our typical four <laughs> or sometimes even our typical three. We're hitting five episodes today. <laughs> it's a new record. It really <laughs> is. This is longer than even like most of the films we've done. So yeah, if we if there's any point where we glaze over, oh, this character walked in the room, the blue demon had a major role. If we skip over that, it's because we have five episodes and we, we want to get you home on time. <laughs> yes, yes. We, the total runtime for these five episodes is 124 minutes and six seconds. We're not leaving you here for two hours. <laughs> so, but we are going to be talking about episodes nine called Odd New. Then following up, we have Nomad Esir. Uh, this fun fact, this was one was written by Kevin Graveau, um, who was the voice of Black Beetle back in season two, and also plays a werewolf on the side um, whenever you see him in, in um, what, what's that movie called? The movie with Kate Beckinsale. Oh, <laughs> I thought you just meant real life. You just oh, played yeah. the werewolf. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> we don't know what he does. <laughs> For those who are listening, all of these episodes are basically... Uh, pun names connected to Zatanna as her power set is connected to her being able to do anything as long as she's able to say it backwards. So episode nine is just really called Undo. Uh, and then we got episode 10 called Rise Demon, followed by Get Ready. Sorry, episode 10 is Demon Rise. My bad. <laughs> I was reading it two backwards. <laughs> then after that is Go Forth and Conquer. And finally wrapping it all up called Break My Heart. Studio Murr is responsible for the animation for this. Timing-wise, we are between May 13th to May 15th. May 13th is like two hours, and May 15th (laughs) is also two hours. So this is all happening on May 14th. 
this is an intense day. <laughs> <laughs> the way I would call out sick on May 15th if I went through this. <laughs> All right, and now cast list. Um, because it is our Zatanna arc, we start off with Lacey Chabert, who is Zatanna herself. Uh, who's had the role since uh, season one. Next up, Tom Adcox is the voice of Claire in The Witch Boy. Vandal Savage makes an appearance here as he is voiced by David Kay. Uh, D.B. Woodside is the Phantom Stranger. I'm trying to remember D.B. Woodside because I do believe, was he the one in Lucifer or was it his very strong lookalike? It was the one that was in Lucifer. <laughs> yes, he was. And uh, in 24 go. and in Buffy. Oh, oh, there we go. Very magical, uh, except for the 24 one. Um, I don't know how they solved that one about magic. Also, Romeo Must Die. <laughs> oh, snap. That's a good movie if you have some time to check it out. <laughs> uh, next up, we got David Shaughnessy. Uh, he's mostly known for video game work and many characters in the movie uh, Labyrinth of David Bowie. But today he is the voice of Jason Blood and our demon Etrigan. Uh, then we got, of course, Kevin Michael Richardson is the voice of Nabu, the first half of Dr. Fate. And then Nolan North is providing the second half of Dr. Fate as well as the voice of Zatara. And finally, we're going to introduce Zatanna's protégés here. We have heard about at least one of them back in season three, but today we're getting all three now. As first off, we have Lauren Tom, uh, known definitely from Futurama and King of the Hill. She is Tracy, a.k.a. 13. Uh, Usman Ali, a.k.a. the hook-handed man from the Netflix series, A Series of Unfortunate Events, <laughs> is Khalid Nasser. And finally, from um, Apex Legends, she's the voice of Valkyrie. In Destiny 2, she's the voice of Anna Bray. We have Erica She, um, pronouns they, she, her. Uh, she's joining the cast as they voice Mary Bromfield, Sergeant, and the Child. But first, um, we, now that we have everything set up, let's say the tube over to the beginning of Odd New. Don't adjust your TV shuts. This is not the intro to Big Bang Theory. It's the Big Bang for real. As we see the Big Bang that formed the universe and created the lords of chaos and order, represented by glowing diamonds of different colors. Um, so it, there's an interesting idea set up that does carry through this entire thing, where it posits that chaos and order are not inherently good or evil, unless you think that good is balance and evil is its undoing of that balance, then you have a good and evil. So it's an interesting idea that they they introduce um, mm -hmm. as an overarching theme. And we'll come back to the Lords of Chaos and Order. Don't you worry. Um, but now we're dealing with um, goblins escaping into New York, which is really a regular day here in New York City. But I understand the town took some out-of-towners and said, deal with the New York goblins just to get yourself some practices. And we see the different styles of each of the apprentices, Halid, Mary, and Tracy. Although Mary does do some overkill by bending a whole light pole that 311 will not fix in the next decade um, to get one goblin, they each learn some lessons along the way. I'm really glad that she also fixed it back because yeah, we would, we, that was going to be down there until like three mayoral elections. Let's be honest with ourselves. Um, so it's really cool to see how they are each able to capture these uh, these goblins here. And Zatanna is the one who is apparently the one that let them loose because this is all a training session because she is training them to become great sentinels of magic. 
Um, however, of course, because they are still students, they do need to work on some of their stuff. So she highlights some of their moments of growth. And as she's talking about it, she's saying that, you know, y'all probably might be the best students that I've ever had. Confused because, oh, well, actually, no, I'm not confused anymore <laughs> because Tracy does bring up, I thought we were your only students and I thought the same thing. <laughs> and speaking of, you know, the Lords of Chaos and Order and their whole impact into this, well, of course, we see that one of them on this um, cosmic scale floats down to Earth. It stops in this um, skyscraper and emits this like huge wave of energy that at first cuts power in the area. But then we see that every single person that has some kind of magical affiliation is tuned into the fact that this uh, magical psychic wave has just made its way through. Obviously, I don't know where Harry Potter is. Um, he's probably just chilling <laughs> or something. So this does go all around the world. And as we're hearing a quick update on Markovia, that um, that. It's still being filled up with metahumans and being reinforced with metahumans. Clarion on the Shadow Council is, um, I don't, is that what it's called? I don't know. What it's... No, that, it's the light, but I do like the Shadow Council. I'm surprised that, like, I mean, I get why they call it the light, but Shadow Council sounds so much better. Yeah. There we go. It's the Shadow Council now. Um, <laughs> he's on the Shadow Council Zoom meeting, and he starts freaking out, immediately goes, and Everyone else is like, oh, well, kooky Clarion. But Vandal Savage does suspect something is up, which prompts uh, uh, one of there are going to be a lot of flashbacks. Mm -hmm. um, I won't criticize this time because they are well they are well worked into the plot. They are not just random. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll criticize one thing about the flashbacks. And I think you know what it is already. Um, so we get a peek back to vandal when he was going by vandar you know mm. his his og name and <laughs> he decided he was like living great he was in caveman times he had a bunch of metahuman kids and raised them all in one village but uh something something happened one day <laughs> yeah um so he went for a walk I'm confused as lies. He went for a walk <laughs> to get some milk. <laughs> <laughs> he actually returned. <laughs> and upon his return, he sees that the entire village is in ruins and most of the population has been slaughtered. They were like all stacked up near his feet. And at the top of the pile is a laughing clarion. So here we get a chance to see what was that first meeting between, um, you know, the two of them back like uh, 12,000 years ago or so. Um, we do get a quick scene of like what's happening with Garfield, the Beast Boy, as what's um, after the whole events with Superboy. But we don't got time for that now because we got to head back over to Manhattan where uh, Zatanna decides that the best way to find out what happened with this whole magical wave is to talk to someone else. So she uses her magic to allow the horses on the carousel to detach themselves from the carousel. And they start flying over. Um, in that moment, they we get a chance to hear everyone talking about who what's going on. Um, specifically, Khaled is asking Mary, what does Zatanna mean by she's still acting too much like a superhero? And Mary explains that in the past, she was a superhero. And she was a part of the team. Um, but... She and um, Tracy even explains 13. She explains that, you know, she had the power of Shazam. 
Um, unfortunately, though, it seems like Mary has some kind of feelings towards that. She can't even say the word anymore. Luckily, she, they don't have to worry about why is it that she can't say the word because while midair, they almost get hit by a school bus. Yeah, and uh, don't worry, we'll address that soon. But right now, we as they stop by to consult with Madame Xanadu, we see that um, in the past, Vandar in, is understandably a little pissed at Clarion. And Clarion basically kills him instantly with a snap. Thanos him out of existence. But Vandar gets right back up. So Clarion proceeds to kill him again. And meanwhile, back in the present, the Chaos Crystal finds a stone from Atlantis <laughs> in a museum that happened to have a small flaw and turns it into her anchor. So like Clarion has his cat, she turns the stone into a hulking anchor which begs the question of why more people don't do this, but I guess Clarion just likes the companionship of cats. So a security guard is like, hey, um, I'm not paid to to stop you, but what are you doing in here, child? And she's like, oh, that's a cool name, child. Hey, why do humans look like Inside Out, by the way? Because the Chaos Crystal has now become a small child. So while that's going on, <laughs> here's Beast Boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it seems as Beast Boy has decided to finally go outside or something. Um, and in that moment, he gets stopped by Blue Devil. I'm not gonna dive into who Blue Devil is. If you want to know more, <laughs> I guess just check out Batman the Brave and the Bold. I think he makes a couple appearances as well as in um, Star Girl or Swamp Thing. One episode um, of Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Blue Devil is now the acting den mother of the of the outside is here so he's asking him like yo how are you actually doing because it seems like you're neglecting your chores you're neglecting the missions which is very unlike you and beast boy tells him that he'll get back on it he's sorry about it but no one believes it i didn't even believe it when i heard mm-hmm. it but while beast boy is just neglecting his chores we head back over to uh madame Zanadu's parlor who we met back in season one while everyone's still talking with her Khaled brings up the fact that, like, yo, why is it that I can hear music? There was nothing playing before. And this is when it's revealed that they're actually in Preservation Hall in New Orleans. And that Madame Xanadu is actually now magical as opposed to how she was back in season one. We also learn, too, that apparently the building that she resides in, um, there are many doors and the doors lead to different areas. Uh, very much like the Sanctum Sanctorum, which actually comes up later on in the future episode in here but <laughs> but um you know she's talking about what's happening and how yeah they definitely felt this um magical wave and this is where they decide to she decides to direct them to where the most current mystic pulse existed and it's back at that same place the jewelry store where um the child was there and we see the really gruesome display of a very dissected corpse of this security guard and it's going to remind everybody that i did look ahead every single one of these five episodes was rated tv 14 i was gonna say pg 13 (laughs) (laughs) yeah so while they see that museum exhibit that they didn't want to see the bodies exhibit the bodies exhibit (laughs) (laughs) even more creepy um we see back in the past 
that Clarion killed Vandar for 300 days and nights. I don't want anybody to say anything bad about Vandal Savage for the rest of my life because this man <laughs> was going through it. And after doing all this, Clarion's like, you know what? I'm kind of intrigued at what you're about because uh, you're not insane yet and you're still here. So they broker a deal where Vandar says, if you don't destroy everything, I'm going to show you something incredible. Give me a thousand years. So let me just cook. Let me just freestyle and vibe. I'm telling you, you're going to see something crazy in a thousand years. And he's like, okay, where should I meet you? And he says Atlantis. So as we get this like really cool setup for one of the biggest locations in this universe. Um, well, pretty much ever, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in any universe. Clarion shows up at the same museum, you know, following the child. And Zatanna hits us with one of our favorite lines in this show. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will ever top Artemis. What are you doing? But it's close enough. And we see that even all them pulling their energies together, cannot hold a candle to Clarion. We knew Clarion was a savage, so this should not be a surprise to anybody. Oh, yeah. Even when Mary uses the strength of Hercules to turn Clarion into uh, uh, one of those pudding packs, it doesn't take. <laughs> um, so, and it especially gets worse when Clarion activates his shadow clone jutsu, choking everybody out at the same time. And an unlikely hero comes to save them. As um, so, the un the hero that we have here is our chaotic hero, the child, who sends out another kind of magic ping, alerting Clarion to basically come find me, come get this work. Um, she arrives at Roanoke Island. So back in season one, this was the scene in which Clarion had split the worlds so that parents and children were separated. Um, so at this crossroads, Clarion feels this disturbance in his force <laughs> and as he heads on over um this is where we see that pretty much almost everybody was gonna die um because zatanna was getting choked out tracy was getting choked out um Kyle was getting choked out mary was getting choked out basically it's it's wild to see because they even show the bruises on their neck and this is when um, one of them even says, "Like, oh, dang, we almost died, didn't we?" So, from non-magical means, <laughs> just for spite, just for, <laughs> just to teach him a lesson. Uh, this is when the child reveals to him that you know, where the lords of chaos are very upset with like the fact that you had how many years now to do what we wanted to do, and you still haven't done anything yet. So, I am here as your replacement. Uh, pack up and go home. And obviously, Clarion's not having it. This is where, to close up the episode, we get to the thing I criticize about these flashbacks. We find out who's been telling the story of the past of Vandar. So it's revealed that the Phantom Stranger is uh, telling Vandar, uh, Vandal Savage now. And Vandal Savage says, why do you tell me what I already know? This line will be repeated by someone by... <laughs> at the end of each of these episodes who is on the receiving end of information they already know. And look, if you're hanging out with a friend and they're telling you the exact same story, I understand sometimes you want to be polite, pretend you didn't hear it before, 
But if they start telling you a 20 minute story about Atlantis, maybe you could say, yo, 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 bro, bro, bro. I heard this one. We we we, heard, we did this one before. You got, you got something new for me? I was there. <laughs> <laughs> but the stranger says, I wanted to remind you of how we got here. Your bond with Clarion, which will be important in, in the very soon future um, as we head into the next episode. Yeah. So now we are in Nemold, um, Asir, Rise, De- Demon Rise. Um, Vandal is continuing to, 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 we're hearing Vandal's voice narrate this story. Um, and he's recounting what happened with Clarion, how he made, he brokered that deal. And now he has found a way to repopulate Atlantis. So trying to figure out how that happened. Um, (laughs) a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of Gatorade. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he shares that after a century, the city, the village grew into a city and it led to um, he saw the birth of his latest grandson um, and his latest grandson, Arian. And he decided, all right, you know what? Y'all, y'all good. I'm going to go out on my travels, going to do my own thing again, going to pick up some milk. Uh, he returns 200 years later, now going by the name of Barljot. Um, and he finds Atlantis now to be this like beautiful city and that his grandson, Arian, is still ruling the city showing that Arian is the first of his descendants to be immortal like him. And speaking of immortality, we see that Zatanna and her students are still trying to recover from their battle. Um, really hoping they stay alive for this one because <laughs> that was, they were getting work. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do like here that Halid is the one who heals everybody's throats with his magic because you get the backstory earlier that he's a medical student. So I do like how his magic is specific to him in uh, in one way. And we'll get moments of that throughout, but I really like that little touch to it. And now that the fighting's over, Phantom Stranger is like, hey guys, um, things are bad. <laughs> <laughs> and things are indeed bad because we see, again, picking up where we left off, Clarion is being told he's being going to be sent back to Chaos Crystal land <laughs> with, with with shadow probably yeah they're they're again reinforcing child is saying this is happening because you were savage as a lap dog all this time he was playing you to stay alive and in they're like in in what some ways he might even be a lord of order himself so now his status is being caught into question of as a chaos lord um but outside of that this battle of chaos and order, we go back to a location we know all too well, the baby <laughs> bioship, where Emery, McGann, and John are having a very awkward trip home. Yeah, it has been a very quiet ride for, we don't know how long yet, but assuming, uh, I believe they might have hit about the two-week mark in their month-long journey. So Emery just try, tries to, you know, get everybody talking or at least engage people in conversation by asking are we there yet Jean unfortunately took this very seriously even though as earthers <laughs> we know this is just a running joke of being on part of a long journey McGann ignores this and she's just continuing to stare at the wedding ring that um, Connor put on her hand prior to, unfor- to his unfortunate demise and this is when Emery asked John to help her prepare for dinner but it's really just so that they can talk privately. And I do love this moment where Sean <laughs> chairs, man, I didn't even need to create a psychic link to know that you needed to talk psychically in private. Like I can see it. So this is where Jean enforces, reinforces 
that McGann needs family, especially the family she has on Earth. But Emery pushes and says, look, we need to help her now. Otherwise, by the time she gets to Earth, you know, it's going to be too late to reach her. So as they ponder this, we go back to the past where we see that things are going well. And even there's now a a, a race of metahumans called the Homo Magi, which are these magical metas. And they're tapping into some crazy techno magic. They are doing some crazy stuff in Atlantis. Uh, so as we're pondering how this is going to fold back in, we see that Zatanna, understandably, is like, you want me to say Clarion? I'm good on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, of course, if, um, you know, it's a typical, if the bad guys are fighting each other, great, let them take each other out, and then we'll just go in and solve what's left. Um, but Stranger thinks that she needs to see firsthand what this battle will lead to. So... He, he, he does say you're pretty short-sighted let me bring you over to the battle and this is where she gets a chance to kind of hear from child herself like why she's so cuckoo bananas um clarion reveal realizes that child is way more powerful than him so she's like she's wondering why and this is when child reveals that she has the backing of all the chaos lords um, so it's not even just like Clarion, where he was just like, I have my own power. This is basically the entire balance of imbalance on personified on Earth. And the more that um, Zatanna's hearing this, the more she's like, okay, maybe Phantom Stranger was right, especially because Child is pulling out things like Energy Sword. Um, I think at one point, Clarion actually, sorry, pulled out the energy sword, sliced child down the middle. Again, TV 14. This was this was a sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she's completely fine. You know, just to emphasize, this is like if 10 out of 10 dentists recommend something, that's how powerful the child is right now. It's not just mm -hmm. 9 out of 10, all right? So now she is clearly going to walk through Clarion, but we cut back to the past where Vol is like, grandson crazy idea just throwing out here what if we sank atlantis and <laughs> and he's like oh whoa, whoa, whoa what are you trying to say and ball shot i he is out of line but <laughs> he's, not wrong. he's not wrong he's not wrong he insists that the homo magi that are living in atlantis will do natural evolution they'll rise and they'll come back up and they'll figure out how to adapt to a new environment if we put the pressure on them of sinking Atlantis. Additionally, he's like, I can't really conquer all of Earth if 75% of it is water and I don't have that market locked up. So if I put Atlantis in the water with a bunch of magical metahumans with advanced skills, then that might get me somewhere. And this plan, I hate is <laughs> logical, but understandably, Arion is like, no, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy thousands would die and he's like hundreds would live right um <laughs> so after we see that arian is gonna stand against his granddad he's like pops i don't know what you're talking about i'm not doing it we see that the stranger is going on his tour and he now stops by jason blood's place to get some additional muscle Yes, we are in DC Sanctum Sanctorum, uh, a term that in the DC universe just means the home of any magical person. <laughs> <laughs> so 
when Jason Blood pops out, um, he gets the rundown of basically everything that's happening. The stranger even suggests that um, Blood's friend be the one to help out. And the more that they are talking about this stuff, the funny thing is that we also see that Mary's just basically touching everything in the room, <laughs> even though she's not supposed to. You don't come if it don't trouble you, you don't trouble it. How about that? <laughs> so as the pressure is put on Jason Blood to actually be a part of this whole thing, um, this is here where here where we get the full um poem that transforms Jason Blood into the demon Etrigan. And I got to say, I was a little disappointed uh, with Etrigan's appearance because my man lost his rhymes. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Maybe that's why it was so painful when he was transforming because he had to yeah. lose his rhymes. <laughs> but I think the writers are like, I can't. I can't do this all right now. I can't do all so many rhymes. No. <laughs> this is when you have to hire rappers, people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know Miles would have got this. That but <laughs> back on the back on the baby bio ship, Emery pokes a fight with McGann through their mental link. And McGann figures out in the middle of the argument, hilarious and great moment, that she's like, Are you trying to generate catharsis? Basically, are you trying to get a rise of emotion out of me so that I will confront my feelings? Because I'm a counselor, I know this method. And she's like, Yes, is it working? A little bit. And after they laugh, uh, McGann cries and releases these emotions that she's been pent that have been building up. And it's a really nice scene between sisters because it kind of closes up their arc and really lets them come to a new understanding and agreement in their relationship. And the moment is slightly interrupted by the side of the magic school bus going <laughs> by them. <laughs> um, again, we're going to come back to it. And back on Earth, we get a little bit of background to Etrigan, uh, that he's the half-brother of Merlin, which, is that new? I didn't know that. <laughs> I remember it's from somewhere else, but I just don't remember what, where, where, what was the something else. I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's, that's going to be some awkward barbecues, um, because Etrigan also hints that inside Mary, there seems to be another personality. Um, but they don't have much time for that now, because Etrigan is sent to fight the child, he takes on Flaw, but Flaw is like, no, no, sir, I'm the most jacked character of this arc, and I won't be removed <laughs> for anybody. And also, it doesn't help that the child is a master earthbender, so mm -hmm. she is easily carving up the landscape. And in the midst of this intense battle, we gotta go back to the past, <laughs> not to Samurai Jack, but to Atlantis. <laughs> I was almost started singing the theme song, so let me stop, let me stop. <laughs> Um, so we at this moment, Clarion has returned after his thousand year deal with um, Vandal Van Vandar Valjot. And they both agree that maybe it's a good idea to sink Atlantis. So Clarion decides to play his part. He succeeds in sinking Atlantis despite Arian's um, resistance to it. And in doing so, Arian is unfortunately killed by a falling statue of his grandfather, landing on his head it is such a sad scene because we continue that again with like the city falling but that's not where it only stops because the lords the other lords of chaos were very content with like the scene of destruction that they decided to just sink more and more land until the entire continent of atlantis 
was underwater. Now, Varl, Varljot, he was sad by this, mainly because of the passing of his grandson, um, also because he didn't intend for the entire continent to go down. I feel like I feel like he probably wrote that one out of the books for himself. But like he said, most of his um, descendants, the Homo Magi, and some of the Homo Metas were able to survive and became water breathers uh, who are now calling Homo Mermanus. And they eventually scattered across the oceans, creating a new kingdom for Atlantis, ultimately leading to Vandal kind of controlling three-fourths of the world, but not really. I, I, I don't know what... I get the plan, but... I still don't get how he thought he controlled the world if nobody was going to remember. <laughs> a man takes walks for 200 years and comes back like, no one knows you, sir. Well, wasn't his concern. He was more concerned about that death. <laughs> and back in the present time, you get some really creative animation because Etrigan hits uh, hits a child with that piccolo combo of grabbing you by the arms and lasering you in the face. But even melted, she pops out of her own melted skull <laughs> and is still fighting. So now it is clear that this fight isn't going well. Zatanna gets knocked out of the battle. The child, even though limp, she so-called limiting her power, is not holding punches back. So this is a point where Zatanna says, we're going to need some extra muscle again and as we get this we cut to the narration of vandal and it's talking to dr fate and while he does drop why do you tell me what you, i already know uh he does drop an important word and that is dad why do you tell me what i already know pops and vandal's like i'm trying to convince you to help because like clarion i i use clarion as a weapon that i aimed at all my problems and now you might be the next one as we go on to this next episode. Yes. Uh, but before we do hop into oh, yes. that next episode, there is a little, each one of these episodes do have um, um, voiced over um, end credit scenes. And in this one in particular, Vandal is talking with his daughter, Cassandra. Um, he's instructing her to take the precautions because this battle between Clarion and the child might lead to the loss of basically Earth as we know it. So he tells her to initiate Project Lifeboat, which is basically to take all of the Earth's like main important things and transfer them over onto war to War World. Um, he's sharing that this also makes sure that the light gets evacuated to War World. And even though Rachel Ghoul isn't a part of the light anymore, he still sees Rachel Ghoul as a friend. So he was like, um, please offer it to him too, even though he probably has his own um stuff in place. And I need to know. Mm -hmm. Does Rachel Ghoul have a spaceship? He absolutely does. <laughs> Rachel Ghoul is like Elon Musk, but he he actually follows through. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely ready for this. <laughs> All right. Speaking of getting ready, uh, we're gonna hop into our next one. Tag there or get ready. Um. So now the narration is taken over by Nabu, the um the spirit who inhabits the Helmet of Fate. Uh, he he narrates the, the history of the Lords of Order's relationship with the Earth. So this is where we also find out that back in our previous episode, Arian received a crown from the worlds of, from the Lords of Order. And that was when the Lords of Order had chosen Arian to be their first agent. Very similar to how Clarion is the agent of the Lords of Chaos, Arian was supposed to be that for them. 
Uh, unfortunately, though, they did not foresee the sinking of Atlantis, the death of Arian. Um, but they did decide they, they decided that this was a great moment for them to reassess. So they watched what the what chaos was doing, basically the architect of chaos Raj Shot was doing, so that they can figure out their next plans. But of course, uh, Vandal decided to change his name once again. He is now going by the name Marduk. It's I don't like, know where he's getting these names from. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's like I think Snoop, not even Snoop has changed his name this many times. You know. <laughs> um, so. They get Zatanna in the present time, takes them to Dr. Fate, and this effort has almost completely exhausted her. And to be fair, she has had a very long day. She really has. <laughs> it is it is 3.20 in the morning when this is all happening. She has not slept. <laughs> and, you know, just as a... We will get a fuller recap, but a reminder that Dr. Fate is also inhabiting her father's body. So seeing him is never a good time for her in the, the best of times so dr fade is ready to kick them out elsewhere we have been skimming around a bit but it's worth mentioning there's been an ongoing plot where beast boy has been ignoring mission alerts uh taking a lot of sleeping pills he is now very dependent on sleeping pills and yet again he's ignoring a major mission alert so clearly things are not improving for beast boy on his own um in the past Cutting back to the past, we are in Babylonia, where um, Vandal gets mad that people are, are thinking too free. You know, too much free will going around here. <laughs> it's like, I need that anti-life equation stat. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yo, people are not building my pyramids like the way I want them to. So he agrees to take some help from Clarion. And his new son, Nabu, wearing a very familiar golden helmet, says, look, we don't need him, his help. Let's just do it without him. But he ignores that, and Vandal's like, all right, Clarion, what you got for me? And Clarion's like, ah, my little, my friend's sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a chance to see that this sorrow is what they'll face off against, much like what was explained back in the, um, I believe it was the season three episode where we got a little bit more of the, the history of Vandal Savage. So we're kind of coming full circle a little bit here. But, of course, we are back into the Tower of Fate. Um, Zatanna and Dr. Fate are definitely not whelmed in this in their conversations with each other. Um, we also find out that Khalid is the uh, the nephew of Inza, which was the wife of Kent Nelson. So that is something that comes up where it's just like, oh, things make sense, according to Zatanna. Um, so Zatanna does start to share the situation with uh Dr. Fate telling her that telling him that they need his help but of course Dr. Fate is just like listen this isn't one of those things that I should be a part of and it sounds more like a chaos lord fighting another chaos chaos lord which is funny because it's basically something that Zatanna said herself but she notes how like destroyed Roanoke Island has become since their battle and this is where Fate says are you you seriously want to bring these people into a battle like this? Like you might as well just let them do their thing and then you guys go in afterwards because none of them are ready. And he decides to prove that none of her sentinels, Zatanna sentinels of magic, her students are ready at all by sending them into this mindscape shadow realm um, and decides to test them so that they can prove 
so she so that he can prove to her that she's basically setting him up for failure. So now 13, uh, Khalid and Mary all have to face off against their greatest fears. And again, this is a uh, a really a really uh, specific and, and spectacular section of if you know nothing about any of these characters like me and mm. still think 13 is Jinx from Teen Titans, this is helpful <laughs> to kind of narrow down who these characters actually are. And in 13's vision, uh, Tracy, she sees some creepy-ass puppets, I'm talking worse than Slappy and Chucky put combined, of her friends. And meanwhile, above the puppets, there are these puppeteers that are, this puppeteer that is screaming out all Tracy's insecurities, um, everything she's been worried about, and... As she skip zooms out, she realizes that the person swimming in securities, the puppeteer herself, is Tracy. Just an evil, twisted version of her. And for Halid, he go he sees a reflection of himself in water. And the water reflection is saying, Why aren't you a doctor? Don't you remember what your parents sacrificed? What you what you gave what they gave up for you to get this far? And he's also like, Why are you relying on magic? That's not what we're taught in our religion. Are you gonna convert? Are you going to, and his mother's representing this religious side, and he's trying to tell his mother, don't use religion to bully me into what you want. And his father's representing the medical side. And in between these two extremes that he's caught in, the water is rising up and threatening to consume him. And as much as he's struggling, um, in the past, there was a lot more struggles when the Starro hit Babylonia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we do see that Starro is able to take over every single member of um, Marduk's army over in Babylonia. And now Marduk, Nabu, and uh, one of his other kids, I believe, is supposed to be Isis. Oh. Uh, But not the Egyptian god Isis, just named after the Egyptian god. I think there was (laughs) another one. Um. The they're all trying to stop this bad this um this takeover, and unfortunately, Nabu is killed by the army, and his death is intriguing enough to the Lords of Order that we'll find out what that means because very soon, because um as this is happening, we do hop back over to what's happening with uh Mary as we see that she is in the middle of trying to constantly save this child. Um, This child keeps putting themselves into some very dangerous scenarios. That got me a little upset after the second time that I was just like, (laughs) come on, just get out. Get off the tracks. Get off the tracks. (laughs) Um, And every single time that this kid is being saved by Mary, uh, Mary's constantly using her magical abilities of tapping into the ley lines to invoke the abilities of Hercules and 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 Atlas and all that. Um, but every single time that she saves this kid, the kid is just like, no, don't save me that way. And it's pushing her to say the words that we know from before that she can't say anymore. And the more she says that I can't say those words, this is when the girl tells her, fine, I'll do it myself. I'll say it myself. And then this is when she says Shazam, turning herself into the Mary Marvel white suit wearing individual that we know now in this version called the Sergeant. Yeah. And unlike in Shazam 2, where she had literally no character, this Sergeant is. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? Yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not. You're not wrong. <laughs> um, 
So she is, she smacks Mary around a little bit and says that you're afraid to be your true self, this powerful version of yourself, and you lack the imagination to become something new. So she's saying, you know, you were, and as we're trying to still figure out why she rejected this powerful version of herself, we see that back in the past, after Nabu's death, the Lords of Order said, you know what? Round two, fight. They put in an extra 25 cents into the machine, got the, got him the one up, and sent him back is as the Helmet of Fate that we now know today is put on every user of, of uh, Dr. Fate. So as we go back to Earth, we catch up with Tracy and says, and she's still getting hit with her insecurities, but she acknowledges them. She says, look, I'm afraid, but I asked for help. Like all the insecurities you're bringing up, I live with, I deal with every single day. So don't come at me like that. And in a nice metaphor, uh, the puppeteer that was so big lording over her becomes small and she's able to get just drop that and, and leave it alone. And then we go over to Halid, which I mean, the scene is the only way I can describe the scene is beautiful. Yeah, I, I definitely agree because um even animation wise, because we see that he, him, his parents, um, even the reflection of himself dressed in um in doctoral scrubs is struggling to stay above water. They're all drowning at this point. And we hear that he starts um doing an ex- an Islamic call to prayer. Um, and at that moment, the water around everybody starts to to disappear and starts to flow away. And then the final part of that scene is that the two versions of himself are standing in the reflection um, feet to feet. And then the doctor version of him sweeps counterclockwise so that the two of them join together. And it's a very beautifully animated scene because in that moment, he starts sharing that he um, he is a man of faith, science and mysticism. And that he will find a way forward on his path built by those who came before him. He's going to be a doctor and a sorcerer. He calls that the magic of um, he calls that magic is a science of his as a tool that he will use to, um, you know, to serve good. And he's, he's definitely going to embrace his family and the connections that he now has. And this is when he says, I am ready. And then this portal appears underneath his feet taking him back to um to the group meanwhile sergeant marvel is still holding mary down she's like she unfortunately has her by the throat is has her pressed up against the wall and it looks like it might be curtain closed for her but in that moment someone taps on her shoulder and it's a young billy batson reminding her that this isn't who she is this is where we finally get the answer to the mystery where mary was so obsessed with being a superhero that she lived it full time. She was obsessed with the power. She was, she leaned too far into that. She abandoned her life. So he reminds her that she wants to get back to a place where she did it for her and that she is a superhero as her. And upon accepting this, she is able to defeat herself and accept that she will forge a new path forward without relying on, without getting too obsessed, without relying. So at the culmination of these three, they all come out and say, we learned lessons and are all very individual, specific, realistic lessons um, that really makes each of them stand out. And just and remember, this is maybe a combined minute, 10 minutes of screen time. But mm-hmm. even that might be too much where we still 
in that short amount of time to learn so much about these characters is really remarkable writing. I really have to commend um, the job here of how these characters are written. And they show up to Faye and say, hey, man, we're ready. And Faye says, cool, I'm staying here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we went through all this for <laughs> so after we see a brief scene of beast boy ignoring all his calls um we get back to the narration where nabu is selling all of this to to um i was about to say kent nabu is selling all of this to zatara and zara's is like and he's like oh why did i tell you this to teach you a lesson that we're not supposed to interfere but Zatara's feeling spicy and says, um, you missed the whole point of your whole story, bro. Like, Damn. we, you see fate as this single champion against evil, but it's a group of people. And we see a montage of everybody who's ever put on the helmet of fate in the series. And he's like, it's all of us working together that actually is stopping chaos from running rampant. So you have to continue that tradition now. Otherwise, we all die. And it's also a real again out of nowhere these scenes where Zatara is saying, "Do you think I survived in this helmet by myself?" And he starts praying, and the sign of the cross appears above him, and he says that my faith has allowed me to survive this long. So <laughs> now that we're reeling from all of that, I don't like. Also, the yeah. other great scene about that too is because when you see the two of them talking in this mind space. You see the Ankh of Dr. Fate or of like connected to um, Egyptian Egyptology behind Dr. Fate while the cross is behind Zatara. And it's like, here are these two champions standing behind like these like iconic symbols here. And it's just like coming together to kind of show us that like, hey, we can all work together. And it's like, yo, this <laughs> who who had the time to do this one today? <laughs> They've been working hard. Yeah, so as they are, as fate is slowly starting to come around, Clarion arrives and says, Hey, fate, actually, things are real bad, bro. Can you help me out? <laughs> and child shows up, and Tickle, Clarion's um, familiar, digivolves into Leomon, and just like Leomon, dies instantly. Uh, <laughs> Damn, I still didn't get over that, man. Like, come on. <laughs> Every season, Leomon must die. But with Tickle's death, no nothing bounding him to the mortal plane. Clarion um, goes back to Digi Egg Chaos Crystal form and returns to the Chaos Lords, leaving everyone stunned. And us wondering about a magic school bus. Yeah, we get another end credit scene here where this uh, this bus is still traveling through various places and dimensions. The kids are just screaming the other the entire time. I did find it funny that as they were screaming, they did include that the, all the kids took a collective breath because they had exhausted their lungs. <laughs> um, so as these kids are screaming their heads off, and as we are too, because of Tico dying, we hop over to our next episode, Al Kratrof Dina Reuknok, or Go Forth and Conquer. Where Zatara now has taken over the narration as he is sharing his life story about being a 28-year-old stage magician with a young family, his wife Cindella by his side, his two-year-old daughter Zatanna. Um, he's talking about how great his act was as a stage magician. Like people loved it. He had people coming in, always sold out. 
And at times, because he felt like he wanted to, he would include some of, you know, the occasional use of real magic. But one night when he was performing a routine, um, one of his acts caused something to get catch on fire. And while everybody's freaking out, trying to figure out what to do, Sutara calmly starts thinking about ways that he can help. And what he does is that he uses his magic, his real magic, to pull out the flames. Now, luckily, everybody thought this was just all part of an act, so they started to applaud him. But as Zatara is up there sweating on stage, there is one person in the crowd who is smiling because they do know that there was something more to what was happening there. And that individual was Kent Nelson. I think he set the fire. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. <laughs> we didn't start the fire. <laughs> it was always burning. <laughs> but... Back in the present, we pick up with, again, Tikal dying. And the child's like, okay, now that that's out of the way, immediately blows up the house of fate. And this explosion is so substantial that even the local ley lines that Mary would draw power from are disrupted. But she was the one that's so conscious after this. So not having anywhere else to draw power, she takes it from her fellow students and and to channel it into her own power set. So meanwhile, we see that Beast Boy is on set and they are like at take 105 at this point <laughs> for the same scene. And he's just not mentally there for the scene. And you can see the bags under his eyes and that everyone around him is really tired and trying to pull it together. And elsewhere, Clarion now is a floating diamond, says, I hate to admit it, but I need a hero. Um, and <laughs> this is when we started playing Shrek. Yeah, I need a hero. hero. And for some reason, um, we get a previously on Young Justice where Superman and Superboy are chilling on the bridge, shaving a bus of students. What? <laughs> why could this be? What's this about? Yes. So after they save these kids from the season one episode, where I think following that is when, um. Bruce told Clark that we need to talk about the fact of you being a neglectful fa father in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, this is where Clarion appears once again as this uh, chaos crystal diamond, and he's upset that he was unfortunately missed the heroes. Um, so he decides that he does need an anchor to the mortal plane, though, so he doesn't get involuntarily brought back to like the cosmic balance scale thing. So he decides to choose a motorcycle. Um, running joke about Clarion, he does not use the right words at times. So this motorcycle is actually the school bus and he decides to possess it. Meanwhile, we get a chance to meet Charlie and Penny. Uh, Charlie is the bus driver. Penny is the girl who just happens to be on the bus along with her other classmates. And during that moment, uh, Clarion takes over the bus. He says something about you remind me of someone. And then he starts teleporting the bus through all these different dimensions. Meanwhile, Zatar is continuing on with his story. He's sharing that how after um, saving the audience from the fire, um, he felt this desire to do more than just entertain people with his powers. And even though he lacked the direction, he did get inspired watching a report about Superman on television. So he decides that maybe that's what he needs. And I love the fact that he does share that, you know, he's watching this man. He realized I'm inspired by this fellow immigrant. 
And we do realize here that Zatara does with his heavy accent, it does make sense that he is probably not from um this area of of America. Or sorry, well, not from America. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he shares that between his performances and the time that he's spending with his family, he's using his gifts to protect society, which shows him like stopping a bank robbery. And he still wants to do more. And that's when he gets that fateful knock at the door as Kent Nelson has appeared and tells him, I have a proposition for you. I'd like you to join the Avenger initiative. Um, <laughs> you thought you were the only one? <laughs> so now back in at the scene of the the rubble of Dr. Fate, Tower, this is where he's like, okay, I, I need I need some help. I need I need a I need a left bumper assist with, with this one. <laughs> and you see there's even a crack in his helmet now. And at the same time, Mary is called out for her technique of draining powers from her friends without asking first. And this is going to be this is setting up a, a conflict that will continue um, throughout the next episode. But for now, with Nabu unable to get direct help from the order, the Lords of Order, like um, Child is from the chaos, we cut back to the director and he is pleading to Beast Boy. He's saying, look, we have good counseling services if you need help. And again, Beast Boy is saying, I don't need help. Let's do it. But the director says, look, actually, your co-star, your second command has actually been getting more popular lately. So he can take this over. He can take this scene over. And in, you know, this is fiction because the director is very kind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, love your directors, people. Directors are great. Uh except the ones you hear about in the news. Uh, so <laughs> um, the director says to Beast Boy, look, we love you, but we honestly want what's best for you and recognizes that this show is not what's best for him. So as Beast Boy is getting ready to hand over his role, we cut back to Zatara. And this is where he's recognizing he spent less time at home between all his obligations and trying to pay the bills. Because remember, <laughs> being a superhero, don't pay. <laughs> so That's not at all. He's broke and he broke. <laughs> He's still trying to pay the bills. And it, meanwhile, Kent becomes kind of a stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> this was the plan all along. It's like, I'm going to set the fire. I'm going to trick Zatara. And I'm going to steal Cinderella. That's basically all it was. It, you know what? Game, it, it was a messed up plan, but I respect what he, I kind of respected the way that he like put himself in there, mainly because he is taking care of Zatanna. I, I did appreciate the yeah. fact he was like, I'm not going to let this baby go hungry. <laughs> yeah, and I give it, you know, Vandal Savage would be proud. Yeah. <laughs> um, but things get even worse for Zatara because his wife, unfortunately, gets cancer and he had to perform even more to pay for the bills and be for her financially. And in one of the best written lines in this show um, that I can remember in recent times, he says, in some damned hotel, in some damned city, came another knock. And that was letting him know that his wife had passed while he was trying to provide for her. And we hop over now to Sydney, where another thing is knocking, which is um, the impending doom of the entire world here. 
because we see that the city has been more or less destroyed by a giant volcano that's at the base of a pillar of fire. Um, so very, I'm getting like Avatar Roku death vibes. Honestly. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but honestly, you should have by now. <laughs> um, this is where fate is telling the crew, Zatanna and her students, that they're too late. Child has already moved on, and. All the students are wondering, like, yo, what can we do? We have to help in some way, shape, or form. There are people that are probably dying or in need of assistance. But in a stage like this, um, fate does share that, like, the more we hang around to try to save the people who are here, the more damage that the child could do. So we need to keep moving and try to find the location for where she is. Luckily, though, for them, um, the stranger appeared out of nowhere. He agrees the fact with the fact that they need to keep moving because they need to stop the problem at the source of it. And he has already summoned the Justice League and the Outsiders and every mystic champion that can help. <laughs> <laughs> Even the wizard who I, I who? <laughs> yeah, I think he was a villain. And I, I love this scene that popped because they were like, even the wizard. And they were like, he's helping. It was like, what kind of messed up things has the wizard done that y'all were shocked he was like, let me help out? <laughs> Meanwhile, we see on the Magic School bus that Clarion isn't simply, again, not simply jumping through space, but through time now that his anchor is this bus. And we get some really funny, funny callbacks. Um, at one point, he goes back to when everything was, when he had separated adults and children into two different worlds. So he had to experience that moment twice because the earth was split in two. Um, he goes he into the question. like, who would do this? Yeah. <laughs> Who's responsible? And he just keeps going too late. He sees a year later in Apocalypse, um, a familiar face on, in one of the Apocalypse garb, a familiar woman. And yeah, so we're seeing all of this go back, back and forth across time. And we see Vandals watching this all from his war world. Um, <laughs> still trying to prove me wrong that he didn't use it after season two. Um, and we cut back to Zatara, where he reveals that he mentored Zatanna, um, inspired Halid to get into magic. And in an interesting line, he regrets it. He regrets being a mentor because they went into the line of danger. And the whole reason he did all of this was to protect his daughter and keep her safe. And to cap off this this great section um, on set of where Beast Boy was shooting, um, the line that he couldn't get was said by his co-star saying, we're in trouble. What should we do? We have no choice but to surrender. Mm -hmm. So uh, we hop on over to the North Pole. No one has their winter gear tech at all, uh, mainly because I guess they don't have the resources of the team. <laughs> And as they emerge out, they realize that this is the first place that they went to where there hasn't been a pillar of fire. Um, luckily for them, though, Child, or probably unluckily for them, uh, Child is there. She also compliments the fact that the humans did a great job in melting the polar ice caps. But she <laughs> believes that she can do better as uh, she starts prepping for this pillar of fire trick that she's about to do. But fate starts to fire energy beams at her which Flaw jumps in and easily deflects. And this is where Mary even tries to jump in to fight. Unfortunately, the more that they keep trying to take down Child, the more 
um, Flaw is able to jump in, deflect these energy blasts, creating these very beautiful, pretty explosions, as Child even mentions. Um, so Child decides, like, listen, you're wasting my time now. I want to start this pillar of fire. So she does the next best thing by creating a giant fist of ice that um, traps Dr. Fate while like singing in a very creepy childlike state. You can't kill me, but threat and then threatens to kill every living thing on Earth before she leaves with Flaw. Yes. So right in this moment, uh, two important things happen. The bus arrives finally right where it should be (laughs) (laughs) at the heroes that Clarion wanted to find. And again, between this environmental stuff and a magic school bus, I think this is a hidden magic school bus episode, actually, about climate change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in the frozen state that Dr. Fate and Zatara are temporarily in, Zatara is like, so Dr. Fate is like, why are you telling me all this, man? I already know this. I- I'm in your head all the time. And Zatara says, I'm telling you this because I want you to tell my daughter because I think it's going to take every bit of my life to finish this battle, and I will not allow my daughter to perish. On that promise, we're finally in to the last part of this epic story. Oh, um, yes. Something, something backwards, but really break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we open back up to Sydney, where the stranger is reciting everything that's happened over these past couple of episodes, mostly um, everybody dealing with the fire. And he's joined by Red Tornado and Tara, who were looking at this pillar of fire destroying Sydney, Australia. This is when they are greeted by a very familiar face with a, three scars on his face. Because uh, Vandal Savage has appeared through a boom tube. He tells Stranger that they have work to do. And this is when the two of them walk off together. Uh, meanwhile, in the North Pole, Clarion is still in possession of the school bus. So he lets them know that, like, hey, I'm here. Um, still, I just need to figure out a plan. The kids and Charlie, the bus driver, they run out because they finally have stopped moving. Um, and then, but then that's when they realize certain things. Like Charlie shares that he sees Doctor Fate, and he's just like, "Hold up, Doctor Fate from the Justice Society." Um, Satana says, "Nope, Justice League. That's different." But I feel like there's <laughs> something more alluding to there because my man's been traveling probably time, space, and the multiverse. Um, and now they're trying to figure out what to do. Um, Fate notices that Clarion is using the bus as an anchor, um, but they do realize that they do need to find a way to get uh, Clarion a new anchor, a new familiar. Otherwise, he's going to stay a bus, and nobody is going to think that a bus is going to be helpful in a fight unless they're truck-coon, I think. Is that what I think it's called? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Meanwhile, we head on over to Hollywood where we get our biggest scene probably with um with Beast Boy as he's in the premiere building. He's watching the news feed and he's greeted by his longtime girlfriend, Perdita, who has brought some of his favorite food. However, he says he's not hungry. And I had the same look Perdita did. of just like, I'm sorry, you're <laughs> not eating. I after I came to see you. Right. Um. <laughs> Also point out that just because I know we jumped around time a lot. This is happening while the world is melting down. Beast Boy is like, nah, I- I'm going to chill here and see how this goes. <laughs> so how did Perdita fly around there? <laughs> I, Perdita got some executive privileges we don't know about. <laughs> so 
as they're trying to find a new cat for Clarion, they express multiple times that they don't trust him, which is funny because they're inside this time traveling bus. And he's like, I can hear you. And they're like, you're meant to trust us. Um, while they're going to help Clarion, Savage meets up with the Chaos and Order Lords. And he's like, look, the balance is upset right now. Like, y'all tip the scales too far in one direction. And they're appropriately calling him out. They could call him out for a lot of things. <laughs> but <laughs> they they call him out for saying, partially, this is your fault for bringing Darkseid into this. Which I'm like, I get the argument, but there's a lot more things you could have called him out for than Darkseid. <laughs> he don't even live on this planet. He doesn't even go here. And um, back in an animal shelter, they go through many cats until until they find one that looks similar to Tickle and even is given the same name as Tickle, even though Clarion <laughs> insists it's original. You know, it's like when you get that new 2K, it's the same game, guys. Um, <laughs> and now that they have the anchor, they all go to face the child. So they head on over to the ruins of the Tower of Fate. Um, this is where Zatanna she starts putting up a, a glamour charm so that all everybody is invisible because they do see that fate decides he's gonna create a conjuring circle um in order to bring uh what's the name the child over to them. Tickle has powers now, so at the at the slightest meow amplified by Clarion, child and flaw appear in the circle. Um they're they're quite upset more upset now because they do see that T that clarion is back with tickle so now and but even worse that he has decided to team up with um individuals of the order so now she calls him a tool of order uh so as they start fighting we see another fight start to erupt because we have to hop back over to hollywood where <laughs> beast boy and perdita are in his bedroom and he's just like not with wanting to talk with her at all. And the more she pushes him to to be like, you need to go and get help. She's even trying to offer him some help. The more she's shutting it, he's shutting her down. And obviously this is wearing thin because she has traveled so far to be there, but he won't even in the accept middle of a whole pandemic. <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. And he won't even accept her touch. So we in the middle of this battle, we cut back to the chaos battle. Again, some crazy animation. Mary is absorbing power um, that that uh, is being... She's siphoning the power of the chaos magic. Um, Halid is using this crazy doctor spell yeah. that basically separates each part of the child's anatomy. And he's like, is it cool? Because I took an oath not to hurt. And Zatan is like, boy, if you don't attack that chaos lord... <laughs> 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 and the chaos lords actually give her a boost that lets her restore to herself and meanwhile savage is like hey if ant if if this wins if the, the chaos is allowed to win today and dark side achieves anti-life without me around if anti-life wins there's no order or chaos it's all gone this battle is pointless y'all will be redundant so in the name of real balance, you got to stop the child. And they're like, you know what? You're making some good points, sir. 
But here's the thing. We ain't gonna call her off. We just will stop giving her access to unlimited specials. So after there's a, a power sap, and now it seems like there's a chance, Mary decides to strike by draining all the life around her to try to break the anchor um, that is holding um, the child there. But unfortunately, this is draining the life from her friends, and they're not liking it so much. And neither does a child because he uses the greatest enemy in fiction. You know it from Game of Thrones, a rock. Oh dear. <laughs> also those... the greatest also the greatest enemy of Dick Grayson in the Injustice series. I'm oh yeah. <laughs> Just one rock. One rock. Um now that Mary is knocked out, this calls for their greatest champion of all to step forward. Tracy 13 steps forward and she's like, I know that I have to stop her. And she does so when she looks over at Flaw and realizes that Flaw is more than just a name. Flaw indicates what is happening to this creature's body because even though it's a diamond, she does notice that there is a crack in the body of this giant creature. And she states, you know, I guess it kind of would be a little bit of bad luck if maybe, just maybe, that crack got a little bigger. And speaking of things that are just like cracking up and maybe destroyed, we hop back over to Beast Boy and Perdita, <laughs> who it all comes to a head because as Garfield is just more and more just upset with her presence there, he gets a little aggressive and at some point knocks something over on, on his bedstand. And this is when all of his sleeping pills get scattered onto the ground. Perdita calls him out on it. It's just like, you're clearly using these pills to dissociate from everything that's happening. You're dissociating from the loss of Connor. You're dissociating from the team. And right now I can tell you're dissociating from me. And she tells him that he, that she loves, she loves him. However, he doesn't say it back. And this is when she says, I'm not going to hang around here to watch you, watch you self-destruct. So mm -hmm. Garfield shows her the door. Yeah. And, um, Nice bit continuity really quick that she has a faded scar on her chest from her heart operation. Mm -hmm. um, so she does leave Beast Boy there. And now that back in the chaos fields, now that Tracy has saved the world with bad luck, <laughs> um, Dr. Fate compliments. Um, and the aftermath of the battle, he's like, yo, Mary, I like her. She'll do anything <laughs> for magic. But Zatanna feels the exact opposite and kicks Mary off the team. And she says her obsession with power is something she hasn't quite overcome yet. So she can't do this next thing where she proposes that Nabu share the helmet of fate among four the four magic users. Herself, her students, and Zatara. And she argues that, look, my dad maybe got 10, 15 good years left in him. But if you share and everybody takes a week, all our bodies will be refreshed. You'll be stronger. He'll be stronger. So um, it's all beneficial for everybody. While this drives Mary away, Holly steps up and says, one second, Zatanna. 
did you take on protégés with the express purpose of liberating your father? And although she doesn't answer, she does say yes. That's exactly what her plan was this entire time. So she goes over and checks in with Dr. Fate to see if they have a deal. And in that moment, he says, yes, I do think this sounds like a really good idea. So as he takes off the helmet of fate for the first time in probably the year or more, Zatanna and Zatara finally reunite with the understanding that this re- this reunion isn't going to end in a couple hours. So now the next question is, who's going to be the next person to bear the helmet of fate? And this is when Khaled shares that, listen, my uncle Kent was a hero. And it's my family obligation to to do so by taking on the helmet of fate. And in that moment, he places it on his head, transforming himself into the new Dr. Fate for the next week until we figure out the next stages. And now inside the helmet, Nabu with Khaled by his side is asking the stranger again, why did you tell me all of this? Like these are things that we already know. A uh, stranger shares that these are the things that you need to know. Um, but fate is still unimpressed, has no intention of thanking Vandal Savage for cleaning up his mess. Because again, this is where it's just once again, hey, your dad helped to save the world, even though he still doesn't trust his dad. So Zatanna goes back to the bus and tells all the students, hey, there is no shame in after all you've experienced in, in admitting you need help. And she even scans the bus with magical powers and is shocked at what she sees because she got a vision of Connor's spirit and it's in need of her help. So as that tease sets up what's to come in the future, we get, and I don't know why they went off on this post credit scene like they did, <laughs> but we see Black Canary is talking to Uh, Zatara and reveals that she's been counseling students for 10 years because when the students were done with their journey, they were sent back to their original time a decade before. So they've been being counseled for 10 years. And she goes, Penny, she's been building safer bridges. The bus driver is still driving. He might be the bravest man I've ever known in my life. And in a moment that just breaks your heart, um, she turns to Tatara and says, what do you want to talk about? One of the things he says is, my faith in God got me through the long night of being the helmet of fate. And he breaks down and cries right then and there. What a beautiful way to cap off his entire arc here. It's it's just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. And as you close on his arc, we do open up the possibility of another because we hop on over to Fawcett City. Um, the home of the Marvels, um, not the ones to be released in theaters or has been released in theaters, <laughs> um, but Captain Marvel or Shazam, um, where Mary is sitting outside of a photo booth and she's crying. And we hear this ominous voice is talking to her, telling her that her friends are only jealous of her, that they're going to deny her her power because it makes them look more impressive. And the more you hear this voice, the more you're realizing that is the same creepy goodness to it that one might associate with a granny because this granny goodness telling her or pushing her that there's no need to obey the rules of like the heroes in this way 
that she needs to that Mary needs to follow her own advice because it's all everybody that's trying to hold her back, trying to tell her to follow these rules. They're just trying to do so to keep her small. And she tells her to say the word, to say it. And through the tears, Mary whispers the word Shazam as a bolt of lightning strikes. And that closes out our set of episodes here today. What a journey. <laughs> yeah. What a journey. And speaking of journeys, while we make, while we, I guess, find a way to make sure that these kids are actually getting the help that they need because of their 10 year, but also five minute long journey. <laughs> um, we're going to leave you with this podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crack and One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes. And while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crack and Went Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right. So we had five episodes here to create this magical arc, uh, literally magical arc because of the fact of how much magic <laughs> was in this thing. Um, out of our five episodes here, and we can call them by their front names versus their backwards <laughs> names. Which one are you giving the most whelmed episode award to? So I'm going to say the one that I was very close to to, to crowning, which would be Go Conquer, um, made me mad because I needed this Zatara backstory before. Mm-hmm. I think his story is wonderfully told and it comes to a beautiful conclusion. One of the most complete and whole character arcs of this entire show. And I I loved every scene. I got to learn more about him and how it resolves. However, points are knocked off because you should have done this a whole lot earlier, guys. Yeah. A whole lot earlier. Imagine how many scenes could have hit in previous seasons if we had the full strength of this backstory. Um, so retroactively i'm mad because the episode was <laughs> zana sees her dad for a day imagine how that would have hit if we knew all of this mm-hmm. boy so that's why even though it's close i can't give it to them but i will give it to get ready um now i know written by nita chowdhury who is apparently only the lead writer for this episode but what an episode for her to nail it she, the way each of the students gets so much time and you understand them as fully as any character you have seen from season one, that's incredible um, on its own. But when combined with the imagery, the, the prayer, um, the theme of religion and faith not having to be in conflict with new beliefs, mm-hmm. it is incredible what this episode accomplishes in such a short time, how it forwards the plots for everybody and how it gives an origin story for Nabu that establishes him as the asshole that we know, but we understand why he's that (laughs) asshole. Um, So I really commendable work from her. Um, Definitely to go check out more of her stuff. If you like this episode, 
But I think this episode really just was an all-star in a in a group that is much stronger than Artemis. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Artemis. It ain't no competition here. Um, I, I really think that was the one that really stuck out with me. How about you? Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I definitely felt like Get Ready was the uh the top one of this of this bunch. And even though like all the good majority of the episodes have really great storytelling and everything. Um and especially because I love that scene of like hearing from the heroes, especially this like the new sentinels of magic here, kind of giving some insight of like who they are a little bit. Um, the other thing that I loved about this was that it, it was to me one of the few, it was one the only episode really that had my jaw drop at a scene, which was the death of Tikal, because I was not expecting to actually be that committed to being like, oh no, Tikal is dead. <laughs> and having that shock value of not knowing what to expect because it was well written out where it was just like, here it is that the heroes have this wonderful rallying cry of I'm ready. They've overcome their insecurities. And then it's like immediately jumps into all hope is lost because Tikal died and their worst fear has come to life. So and usually you get that scene. I feel like in reverse at times mm-hmm. so seeing it play out this way it really works because he felt like the you actually felt the gravity of the situation um and it's i think that's where i was like i i in the, in the past in the beginning was also agreeing was like listen the chaos lords are fighting the chaos lords why should we even care but seeing all of it play out in this episode really made me think like oh crap it could actually be worse than what we think um so get ready definitely had me there i think that it also connects most to the other episodes because i think certain things pop up that make it make sense like the drop about khalid being the the nephew of inza Mm -hmm. um i think that that worked out well um because it it does explain because like he's not a character that we've met before i mean mary isn't either but like we know of shazam so by extension we know of mary so having a new character get dropped in um you know i originally wasn't too confident in his character being thought of well in this set of episodes because it's like he seems too competent compared to like the rest of his classmates here (laughs) That is just like, why is he here? Like, what makes him so special? And Get Ready showed us why he was so special. So that's, for me, most warmed episode. Um, I agree. I think that there's just certain scenes and knowledge that I felt like maybe we needed to have placed earlier on. Like, I love the Vandal Savage's side of all the storytelling that we had, all the flashbacks. But I was like, all of this really could have been one episode, like a really well-written episode versus just like splashed in throughout all of them. And even though they made sense, like we got that full episode where it was like the full backstory of Vandal Savage. This would have been a great sequel to that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's for me, whereas in terms of the arc, that was the only issue that I had, because again, it's like. I wish it was fully it was a full episode or earlier on because I would love to see it all connected into one full 20 odd minute episode. Yeah, because, uh, you know, this was five episodes. Um, mm. And honestly, 
if you take out the Zatara backstory, if we knew Zatara's backstory, it would be four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not to say it was a bad ride by any means, but um, it would have saved some time. All that to say, they really did use um, the time well in these episodes while advancing that plot uh, as they're beating, leading up to the next mystery of what happened to Superboy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we're going to I think we're going to we still have some time, fortunately, before we find that out. Or maybe it is the very next thing. But also just like a little teaser sneak peek thing. I do believe that stuff that popped up in this arc definitely pops up in the next arc, which I feel like we haven't gotten that much of in the past, too, because everything has just been focused on like McGann and Beast Boy. And it's just like there's some strong elements, like some strong elements of the storytelling that's going to pop up again in the next arc, which I'm very excited about. What do you mean? Orphan was a key part of this arc. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she even helped. (laughs) It was because she wasn't kidnapped and Batgirl wasn't going to be out there. It's like, I can't save my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, But we did promise not to leave y'all here for two hours. So we're going to jump ahead (laughs) real quick and wrap this episode up for y'all. Um, because we do want to, sh- I did want to share some comic book stuff with y'all because we do get two great introductions here. Um, in terms of characters, we have Doctor Fate, um, at least Kala's version of him, as well <laughs> as um Mary Bromfield or Mary Marvel, as she's also known by. Um, so for Doctor Fate, um, we now we known for a while that Kent Nelson has been the most famous wearer of the Helmet of Fate. Um, since his first appearance in more fun comics. Uh, number 55 back in May of 1940. So the man has been wearing this helmet, I guess not aging this entire time to the point where he looks like Pierce Brosnan in the live action universe. (laughs) Um, But recently, uh, just about almost 10 years ago, um, back in uh, Convergence Aquaman number two, uh, he was introduced in in this July 2015 issue created by Paul Levitz and Sonny Liu, where Khaled Nosur was um, introduced as the new wearer of the Helmet of Fate. Um, he is just this guy, very similar to the story that we saw here in our Young Justice episode. Uh, Khaled is a Egyptian-American and much like his counterpart, is the great nephew of Kent Nelson um, through Inza. And fun fact, he was born and raised in Brooklyn. Hey, there we go. And I got to say, his origin is really cool. Um, it is honestly like the a very, almost a very strong Brooklyn story before <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse, which is kind of weird. <laughs> um, so basically what happens is, is that like he went on, um, he went to the Brooklyn Museum or a Brooklyn Museum. We don't want to specify because some of the artifacts that are in this Brooklyn Museum definitely aren't in the actual Brooklyn Museum because <laughs> he was looking to get a gift for his girlfriend. And when he was walking through, he came across a statue of the Egyptian god Bastet, who told him that he's been chosen to be the new wearer of the Helmet of Fate. And it's because we learned that he's actually the descendant of pharaohs meaning that he's probably going to be the most powerful person to have been chosen to wear this helmet. Um, He thought it was all a dream. And he realizes that it wasn't um, because this statue God told him that now that he has been chosen as the new doctor of fate, 
Um, he's going to be in this battle with the Egyptian god dead Anubis to protect the world. And fortunately, because of comic books, he does win. Um, but overall, it's a really cool story. So definitely mention y'all check it out. The um, the cover art for a lot of the comics of the of his issues, because he immediately got like a Dr. Fate headlining number one. And it went on for several issues. Um, so all of them have some really cool imagery. And he is now currently, again, once again, Dr. Fate of the DC Universe. And he's a member of Justice League Dark. Oh. And he finished medical school. No, no, he's too he's too powerful. He's too OP. <laughs> Do not tell your parents about this man. Read, him, <laughs> read about him in secrets. <laughs> and uh, speaking about another magical user of ours, we got Mary Bromfield. Uh, so Mary was first introduced in Captain Marvel Adventures number 18. Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. proudly present Mary Marvel in December 1942 by Otto Binder and Mark Swayze. <laughs> that is the entire full name of that story. <laughs> All right. Brevity is not her superpower. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mary was introduced as the older twin sister of Billy Batson. What? No, you said older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like a couple minutes i think oh, okay. <laughs> um so she has a lot of history that we're just not going to talk about today because i feel like the thing that we all want to know and wonder about is was everything that they were telling us in this episode true about her about her giving up her normal life so that she can be this like better superhero and all that which I gotta say, probably kind of does pop a little, pop up a little bit, even in the Shazam two movie, because I do remember there was a scene in which she was like, "I remember everything I'm studying when I'm like super powered, but not quite, not when I'm not." Yeah, I feel like they gave more of her stuff to Freddie as he wanted to be the superhero full time for a completely right. different reason. <laughs> <laughs> Did it for the chicks. This the only reason I become a superhero, y'all. <laughs> um, so. The story that they are alluding to is something that pops up for her following Infinite Crisis. Um, so just to give even some more backstory on it, uh, following Identity Crisis, which we talked about in the past um, when we first talked about Zatanna, uh, this was the arc in which the ex-wife of the Adam killed the wife of the elongated man and Zatanna has some kind of hand in the potential cover-up surrounding it. Leanne, Jean Loring, uh, the, this was the ex-wife of the Adam, somehow convinced the Spectre to go on a rampage. And in doing so, he ends up killing the wizard Shazam. Oh, that's that's not kind of the rampage I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then once everything gets settled and all that, Billy has to take up the mantle of the new wizard. So he has to go and live on the Rock of Eternity forever because that's where the wizard lives. Uh, so now we hop on over to the end of Infinite Crisis. This is when um, Superman and Lois Lane from Earth 2, as well as like Superboy and Alexander Luther, that that crisis because they were upset <laughs> with like the storytelling. I, I don't I don't I'm assuming they probably were valid in their thoughts. Um. At the end of it, Black Adam announces that he's reformed, he's found love, and he just wants to live out his life not doing any of this stuff. He's going to continue ruling Kandak. Um, but he does decide to give two of his Egyptian god powers to Freddy and Mary. Um, because at the same time, Billy is still on the Rock of Eternity. Unfortunately, an apocalypse comes up, and 
leads it leads into the death of his wife and the destruction of his city. So he decides to go on the rampage himself to make those responsible for the death of these things pay. Uh, Mary tries to stop him because obviously it's too much rampaging. So during their battle, she unfortunately gets knocked unconscious and is put into a coma for several months. She wakes back up again months later. She learns how many things have changed. And the most important thing is that she, for some reason, can't actually say the word Shazam. And she also doesn't know where Freddy is. So during her search, um, we get like a little kind of, I guess I can see why they decided to pull in Madame Xanadu here. Uh, She goes to Madame Xanadu and Madame Xanadu reveals to her that magic has changed drastically um, and that she and basically she doesn't have that connection to her Shazam powers, nor does she have connection to the word even anymore. Um, so we were getting some sense from the earlier comic books that she did really enjoy the power of it, not the heroism. So she's distraught over this news. And as she's like walking down around the streets, crying about everything that happens, she gets attacked. But fortunately for her, Black Adam is still on his rampage and decides to help her because he's like, oh, more people to kill because I'm angry. <laughs> Um, in that moment, she tries to appeal to her former friend, telling him that, like, you know, I don't have my powers. The powers you have are a gift. You know, you, like, you should use them in this in a better way. And he shares that, no, these powers have put a curse on my life this entire time. Look at everything that I've lost. And even though she's still pleading with him that, like, hey, no, your powers aren't a curse. They're a gift. I know from experience how great these powers can be. This is when Black Adam states, all right, if you think there's such a a wonderful gift, here, Shazam. He gives her her his powers and says that he's completely done with the life, somehow ending his rampage as well. (laughs) Good job, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) So Mary gets this really cool kind of like black suit. It's like basically the white version of what we saw in the episode, though probably shorter on certain areas um, because comic book writers and designers, I guess that's just what mm-hmm. they do. Uh, unfortunately, though, she, people are noticing that her demeanor is a bit more aggressive. So aggressive that, in fact, at one point during a battle, Billy, the Shazam, the, the wizard Shazam, decides to jump in and intervene from her going too far and teleports her all the way to the Rock of Eternity and tells her everything. He tells her that he was responsible for the change and the um, he was a part of the change that happened to change the way that um, so that she that's why she can't say Shazam anymore, because what he set up was some trials and tests to put a person through to see if they're actually worthy of being Shazam. And currently, Freddy is going through those trials right now because he has personally chosen him to be the new Captain Marvel Shazam, but he needs to complete these tests first. Just very much like a job interview in a way. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Just longer? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but more importantly, the reason why he teleported her there was because he's really worried about his sister. Um, so worried, in fact, that he's realizing that this power, this quest for power, this thirst for power is controlling her. And obviously she gets quite upset about that because she's realizing that her brother was a part of the reason why her life had drastically changed and no one told her why. 
So she decides to leave. And because she's so angry with everybody, this is what leads to her getting um, manipulated by the likes of Darkseid and Desaad, leading to her joining with their side, even during um, like moments like Final Crisis and all that. So yeah, that is basically what happened to her. Um, currently now, uh, at the end of that, the Wizard Shazam was revived, and he was quite upset over everything that happened, so he took away both Billy and Mary's powers, <laughs> and Freddy's as well, and wiped their memories of it, so they were just walking around aimlessly because they had no idea even who they were. Um, fortunately, though, New 52 came about, and that changed Mary into the person that we now more so see in the, in the Shazam films, where she's not the biological sister of Billy. However, they are still pretty close, and she is just basically just still a regular um, Shazam warrior. Oh, so that Shazam spell is still working, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and other fun thing, too, is just like her Shazam acronym is different from Billy's Shazam acronym. Her pulls from the more of the female um, goddesses pantheon versus the ones that we see from from Billy's. Um, we can talk about that in another episode, but again, we're trying to make sure you're not here for two hours. <laughs> um, so with that, I'm just gonna wrap up our episode here. Um, this was a lot. This was a great arc, though. I definitely would I definitely felt better watching this arc than I did in the past. I think watching it all together was really kind of cool because it does feel like a movie. Even mm -hmm. at, yeah, it's 120 odd minutes of time here, but it's well written, well played out, and the pacing's good. There's characters you can connect with. I mean, here I was distraught over the loss of Tickle. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Leoman always comes back. That is true. That is true. All right. So we're going to wrap up our episode here. Uh, be, check be sure to check us out. Let me do that again. Mm -hmm. We're going to wrap up our episode here. Be sure to check us out on our socials and our Patreon for more content. Uh, join us next week as we start our Aquaman arc. And in the meantime, take care of yourselves and remember that buses have emergency windows. So if yours gets taken over by a Lord of Chaos, you always have a way out. And if a magical helmet says like, hey, can I borrow your body for a little bit? Ask how much money it pays because uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a mm -hmm. great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Zatara has some stories for you. <laughs> You're working for free 99. <laughs> <laughs>